Part two of Optimism An Essay by Helen Keller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Part two Optimism Without. Optimism, then, is a fact within my own heart. But as I look out upon life, my heart meets no contradiction. The outward world justifies my inward universe of good. All through the years I have spent in college, my reading has been a continuous discovery of good. In literature, philosophy, religion, and history, I find the mighty witnesses to my faith. Philosophy is the history of a deaf-blind person writ large. From the talks of Socrates up through Plato, Berkeley, and Kant, philosophy records the efforts of human intelligence to be free of the clogging material world and fly forth into a universe of pure idea. A deaf-blind person ought to find special meaning in Plato's ideal world. These things which you can see and hear and touch are not the reality of realities, but imperfect manifestations of the idea, the principle, the spiritual. The idea is the truth, the rest is delusion. If this be so, my brethren who enjoy the fullest use of the senses are not aware of any reality which may not equally well be in reach of my mind. Philosophy gives to the mind the prerogative of seeing truth and bears us into a realm where I, who am blind, am not different from you who see. When I learned from Berkeley that your eyes receive an inverted image of things which your brain unconsciously corrects, I began to suspect that the eye is not a very reliable instrument after all, and I felt as one who had been restored to equality with others glad not because the senses avail them so little but because in god's eternal world mind and spirit avail so much it seemed to me that philosophy had been written for my special consolation whereby i get even with some modern philosophers who apparently think that i was intended as an experimental case for their special instruction but in a little measure my small voice of individual experience does join in the declaration of philosophy that the good is the only world and that world is a world of spirit it is also a universe where order is all where an unbroken logic holds the parts together where disorder defines itself as non-existence where evil as st augustine held is delusion and therefore is not the meaning of philosophy to me is not only in its principles, but also in the happy isolation of its great expounders. They were seldom of the world, even when, like Plato and Leibniz, they moved in its courts and drawing-rooms. To the tumult of life they were deaf, and they were blind to its distraction and perplexing diversities. Sitting alone, but not in darkness, they learned to find everything in themselves, and, failing to find it even there, they still trusted in meeting the truth face to face, when they should leave the earth behind and become partakers in the wisdom of God. The great mystics lived alone, deaf and blind, but dwelling with God.
i understand how it was possible for spinoza to find deep and sustained happiness when he was excommunicated poor despised and suspected alike by jew and christian not that the kind world of men ever treated me so but that his isolation from the universe of sensuous joy is somewhat analogous to mine he loved the good for its own sake like many great spirits he accepted his place in the world and confided himself childlike to a higher power believing that it worked through his hands and predominated in his being he trusted implicitly and that is what i do deep solemn optimism it seems to me should spring from this firm belief in the presence of god in the individual not a remote unapproachable governor of the universe but a god who is very near every one of us who is present not only in earth sea and sky but also in every pure and noble impulse of our hearts the source and centre of all minds their only point of rest thus from philosophy i learn that we see only shadows and know only in part and that all things change but the mind the unconquerable mind compasses all truth embraces the universe as it is converts the shadows to realities and makes tumultuous changes seem but moments in an eternal silence or short lines in the infinite theme of perfection and the evil but a halt on the way to good though with my hand i grasp only a small part of the universe with my spirit i see the whole and in my thought i can compass the beneficent laws by which it is governed the confidence and trust which these conceptions inspire teach me to rest safe in my life as in a fate and protect me from spectral doubts and fears verily blessed are ye that have not seen and yet have believed all the world's great philosophers have been lovers of god and believers in man's inner goodness to know the history of philosophy is to know that the highest thinkers of the ages the seers of the tribes and the nations have been optimists the growth of philosophy is the story of man's spiritual life outside lies that great mass of events which we call history as i look on this mass i see it take form and shape itself in the ways of god the history of man is an epic of progress in the world within and the world without i see a wonderful correspondence a glorious symbolism which reveals the human and the divine communing together the lesson of philosophy repeated in fact in all the parts that compose the history of mankind hides the spirit of good and gives meaning to the whole far back in the twilight of history i see the savage fleeing from the forces of nature which he has not learned to control and seeking to propitiate supernatural beings which are but the creation of his superstitious fear with a shift of imagination i see the savage emancipated civilized he no longer worships the grim deities of ignorance through suffering he has learned to build a roof over his head to defend his life and his home and over his state he has erected a temple in which he worships the joyous gods of light and song from suffering he has learned justice 
from the struggle with his fellows he has learned the distinction between right and wrong which makes him a moral being he is gifted with the genius of greece but greece was not perfect her poetical and religious ideals were far above her practice therefore she died that her ideals might survive to ennoble coming ages rome too left the world a rich inheritance through the vicissitudes of history her laws and ordered government have stood a majestic object lesson for the ages but when the stern frugal character of her people ceased to be the bone and sinew of her civilization rome fell then came the new nations of the north and founded a more permanent society the base of greek and roman society was the slave crushed into the condition of the wretches who quote, labored foredone in the field and at the workshop like haltered horses if blind so much the quieter end quote. the base of the new society was the free man who fought tilled judged and grew from more to more he wrought a state out of a tribal kinship and fostered an independence and self-reliance which no oppression could destroy the story of man's slow ascent from savagery through barbarism and self-mastery to civilization is the embodiment of the spirit of optimism from the first hour of the new nations each century has seen a better europe until the development of the world demanded america tolstoy said the other day that america once the hope of the world was in bondage to mammon tolstoy and other europeans have still much to learn about this great free country of ours before they understand the unique civic struggle which america is undergoing she is confronted with the mighty task of assimilating all the foreigners that are drawn together from every country and welding them into one people with one national spirit we have the right to demand the forbearance of critics until the united states has demonstrated whether she can make one people out of all the nations of the earth london economists are alarmed at less than five hundred thousand foreign-born in a population of six million and discuss earnestly the danger of too many aliens but what is their problem in comparison with that of new york which counts nearly one million five hundred thousand foreigners among its three and a half million citizens think of it every third person in our american metropolis is an alien by these figures alone america's greatness can be measured it is true america has devoted herself largely to the solution of material problems breaking the fields opening mines irrigating deserts spanning the continent with railroads but she is doing these things in a new way by educating her people by placing at the service of every man's need every resource of human skill she is transmuting her industrial wealth into the education of her workmen so that unskilled people shall have no place in american life so that all men shall bring mind and soul to the control of matter her children are not drudges and slaves the constitution has declared it and the spirit of our institutions has confirmed it the best the land can teach them they shall know they shall learn that there is no upper class in their country and no lower and they shall understand how it is that god and his world are for everybody 
america might do all this and still be selfish still be a worshipper of mammon but america is the home of charity as well as of commerce in the midst of roaring traffic side by side with noisy factory and sky-reaching warehouse one sees the school the library the hospital the park works of public benevolence which represent wealth wrought into ideas that shall endure forever behold what america has already done to alleviate suffering and restore the afflicted to society given sight to the fingers of the blind language to the dumb lip and mind to the idiot clay and tell me if indeed she worships mammon only who shall measure the sympathy skill and intelligence with which she ministers to all who come to her and lessens the ever-swelling tide of poverty misery and degradation which every year rolls against her gates from all the nations when i reflect on all these facts i cannot but think that tolstoy and other theorists to the contrary it is a splendid thing to be an american in america the optimist finds abundant reason for confidence in the present and hope for the future and this hope this confidence may well extend over all the great nations of the earth if we compare our own time with the past we find in modern statistics a solid foundation for a confident and buoyant world optimism beneath the doubt the unrest the materialism which surround us still glows and burns at the world's best life a steadfast faith to hear the pessimist one would think civilization had bivouacked in the middle ages and had not had marching orders since he does not realize that the progress of evolution is not an uninterrupted march quotation now touching goal now backward hurled toils the indomitable world i have recently read an address by one whose knowledge it would be presumptuous to challenge footnote addressed by hon carol d wright before the unitarian conference september nineteen o three and footnote in it i find abundant evidence of progress during the past fifty years crime has decreased true the records today contain a longer list of crime but our statistics are more complete and accurate than the statistics of times past besides there are many offenses on the list which half a century ago would not have been thought of as crime this shows that the public conscience is more sensitive than it ever was our definition of crime has grown stricter our punishment of it more lenient and intelligent the old feeling of revenge has largely disappeared it is no longer an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth the criminal is treated as one who is diseased he is confined not merely for punishment but because he is a menace to society while he is under restraint he is treated with humane care and discipline so that his mind shall be cured of its disease and he shall be restored to society able to do his part of its work another sign of awakened and enlightened public conscience is the effort to provide the working class with better houses did it occur to any one a hundred years ago to think whether the dwellings of the poor were sanitary convenient or sunny 
Do not forget that in the good old times, cholera and typhus devastated whole counties, and that pestilence walked abroad in the capitals of Europe. Not only have our laboring classes better houses and better places to work in, but employers recognize the right of the employed to seek more than the bare wage of existence. In the darkness and turmoil of our modern industrial strifes, we discern but dimly the principles that underlie the struggle. The recognition of the right of all men to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a spirit of conciliation such as Burke dreamed of, the willingness on the part of the strong to make concessions to the weak, the realization that the rights of the employer are bound up in the rights of the employed, in these the optimist beholds the signs of our times. Another right which the state has recognized as belonging to each man is the right to an education. In the enlightened parts of Europe and in America, every city, every town, every village has its school. And it is no longer a class who have access to knowledge, for to the children of the poorest laborer the school door stands open. From the civilized nations, universal education is driving out the dull host of illiteracy. Education broadens to include all men and deepens to reach all truths. Scholars are no longer confined to Greek, Latin, and mathematics, but they also study science. And science converts the dreams of the poet, the theory of the mathematician, and the fiction of the economist into ships, hospitals, and instruments that enable one skilled hand to perform the work of a thousand. The student of today is not asked if he has learned his grammar. Is he a mere grammar machine, a dry catalogue of scientific facts, or has he acquired the qualities of manliness? His supreme lesson is to grapple with great public questions, to keep his mind hospitable to new ideas and new views of truth, to restore the finer ideals that are lost sight of in the struggle for wealth, and to promote justice between man and man. He learns that there may be substitutes for human labor, horsepower, and machinery, and books. But there are no substitutes for common sense, patience, integrity, and courage. Who can doubt the vastness of the achievements of education when one considers how different the condition of the blind and the deaf is from what it was a century ago? They were then objects of superstitious pity and shared the lowest beggar's lot. Everybody looked upon their case as hopeless, and this view plunged them deeper in despair. The blind themselves laughed in the face of Howie when he offered to teach them to read. How pitiable is the cramped sense of imprisonment in circumstances which teaches men to expect no good and to treat any attempt to relieve them as the vagary of a disordered mind. But now, behold the transformation— See how institutions and industrial establishments for the blind have sprung up as if by magic? See how many of the deaf have learned not only to read and write, but to speak, and remember that the faith and patience of Dr. Howe have borne fruit in the efforts that are being made everywhere to educate the deaf-blind and equip them for the struggle. Do you wonder that I am full of hope and lifted up? The highest result of education is tolerance. 
long ago men fought and died for their faith but it took ages to teach them the other kind of courage the courage to recognize the faiths of their brethren and their rights of conscience tolerance is the first principle of community it is the spirit which conserves the best that all men think no loss by flood and lightning no destruction of cities and temples by the hostile forces of nature has deprived man of so many noble lives and impulses as those which his intolerance has destroyed with wonder and sorrow i go back in thought to the ages of intolerance and bigotry i see jesus received with scorn and nailed on the cross i see his followers hounded and tortured and burned i am present where the finer spirits that revolt from the superstition of the middle ages are accused of impiety and stricken down i behold the children of israel reviled and persecuted unto death by those who pretend christianity with the tongue i see them driven from land to land hunted from refuge to refuge summoned to the felon's place exposed to the whip mocked as they utter amid the pain of martyrdom a confession of the faith which they have kept with such splendid constancy the same bigotry that oppresses the jews falls tiger-like upon christian nonconformists of purest lives and wipes out the albigenses and the peaceful vaudois whose bones lie on the mountains cold i see the clouds part slowly and i hear a cry of protest against the bigot the restraining hand of tolerance is laid upon the inquisitor and the humanist utters a message of peace to the persecuted instead of the cry burn the heretic men study the human soul with sympathy and there enters into their hearts a new reverence for that which is unseen the idea of brotherhood redawns upon the world with a broader significance than the narrow association of members in a sect or creed and thinkers of great soul like lessing challenge the world to say which is more godlike the hatred and tooth and nail grapple of conflicting religions or sweet accord and mutual helpfulness ancient prejudice of man against his brother man wavers and retreats before the radiance of a more generous sentiment which will not sacrifice men to forms or rob them of the comfort and strength they find in their own beliefs the heresy of one age becomes the orthodoxy of the next mere tolerance has given place to a sentiment of brotherhood between sincere men of all denominations the optimist rejoices in the affectionate sympathy between catholic heart and protestant heart which finds a gratifying expression in the universal respect and warm admiration for leo the thirteenth on the part of good men the world over the centenary celebrations of the births of emerson and channing are beautiful examples of the tribute which men of all creeds pay to the memory of a pure soul thus in my outlook upon our times i find that i am glad to be a citizen of the world and as i regard my country i find that to be an american is to be an optimist i know the unhappy and unrighteous story of what has been done in the philippines beneath our flag but i believe that in the accidents of statecraft the best intelligence of the people sometimes fails to express itself i read in the history of julius caesar 
that during the civil wars there were millions of peaceful herdsmen and laborers who worked as long as they could and fled before the advance of the armies that were led by the few then waited until the danger was past and returned to repair damages with patient hands so the people are patient and honest while their rulers stumble i rejoice to see in the world and in this country a new and better patriotism than that which seeks the life of an enemy it is a patriotism higher than that of the battlefield it moves thousands to lay down their lives in social service and every life so laid down brings us a step nearer the time when cornfields shall no more be fields of battle so when i heard of the cruel fighting in the philippines i did not despair because i knew that the hearts of our people were not in that fight and that some time the hand of the destroyer must be stayed End of part two, Optimism Without.